to the Magic Kingdom. Please, don't worry. Whatever you say, yes ma'am, aye aye sir, okie dokie. Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called uh, Disney World project. Right now, we're leaving the world of today behind. So if your imagination is ready, here we go. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 501. And I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible vacation experience when you come to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with my books, audio tours, the WW Radio blog, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. This week, we're going to look at Walt Disney, the person, not the persona, as we explore some of the stories behind the storyteller with 10 things you didn't know about Walt Disney, the man, not the brand. From family man to entrepreneur, you'll learn not just about the person, but his often tumultuous journey from his childhood to the legacy he left behind. You might even find a few valuable lessons you can apply to your life and business along the way. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win the Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have some updates, your voicemails, and more. So sit back... Relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Walt Disney once wrote, In the lexicon of youth, there is no such word as fail. They finally ended up buying this farm in Marceline, Missouri. I had two pals. One of them was Grandpa Taylor, who was a Civil War veteran. And another one was a retired doctor by the name of Doc Sherwood. My dad bought this uh, Kansas City Star route. You know, a star route was quite a thing. They gave me a small route. Oh, I must have had 50 customers. I was about 9 or 10 when I started that. In the winter, we'd go out at 3.30 in the morning right after a blizzard or in a blizzard or in pouring rain. It didn't matter. I did that for six years. It was tough. So I went to Kansas City, and, and Roy was in Kansas City working at a bank. So I went into this uh, Kansas City film ad company. So that was where I got started in the animation business. The first money that I made, I bought myself a motion picture camera called the Universal. There was no money coming in, so there was nothing left but to go into bankruptcy. I failed. I learned a lot out of that, and I think, it's, I think it's important to have a good, hard failure when you're young, you know? It was a big day, the day I got on that California Limited and came to Hollywood. It was in 
July, I think, 1923. I was, uh, 21 going on 22. Now, my brother Roy was already in Los Angeles. Both of us were unemployed. We solved the problem by going into business for ourselves. We established the first animated cartoon studio in Hollywood. Well, after 40 some odd years in the business, my greatest reward, I think, is that uh, I've been able to build this wonderful organization. Also to have the, the public uh, appreciate and accept what I've done all these years. That, that is a great reward. But all individuals are different. Some of us uh, just wouldn't be satisfied with just carrying out a routine job and, and being happy. Uh, yet I, I, I envy those people. I, I had a brother who, who uh, I really envied because he was a mailman. But he was the one that had all the fun. He had himself a trailer, and he used to go off and go fishing, and he didn't worry about payrolls and stories and, and picture grocers or anything. And he, he was the happy one. I, I always said, he's the smart Disney. Walt Disney. And that single name conjures up so many different thoughts and emotions in all of us. And hearing it, our mind's eye might be filled with animated imagery, visions of dark rides and theme parks, motion pictures, entrepreneurship, uh, a true American fairy tale dream come true, and countless others. And the legacy that this man has left behind is unquantifiable, you know, because legacy is more about sharing what you've learned than more than what you've earned and bequeathing values over valuables, which I think Walt has done. And I think Walt continues to leave a positive, lasting contribution, not just to entertainment, but really humanity as a whole through what he struggled with, what he built, what he developed, and what he bequeathed to all of us. And our love of what he helped create has driven us all to want to know more about the man, the story behind the storyteller. And Countless articles and books have been written and documentaries and even full-length feature films have been released about Walt over the years. And I think for some of us, um, you know, Walt has created more than just a desire to consume content and products, but to sometimes radically and positively alter our own life's course and direction to do the things that we feel not only that we want to do, but maybe are meant to do. And we take some of those lessons and examples and we weave our own stories based on his inspiration. And while we think that we may know many of the fascinating and wonderful and inspiring and maybe even sometimes difficult stories about Walt, there are countless others that we don't know. And that's why since some of the very earliest episodes of WW Radio, I've brought on guests to help share their pers- their stories of Walt, both personal and ones that, that they've learned from Michael Brogy, who played in Walt's backyard and helped run the train before being served ice cream by Uncle Walt, to Marty Sklar and Richard Sherman and Julie Anders and, and so many others that worked for and with him. I've endeavored over the past 12 plus years and more than 500 episodes to learn not more not just about the parks, but the 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 man himself because it didn't really start with a mouse it started with walt and that's why this week with his birthday approaching on december 5th i want to share more stories about the man with 10 ish things you never knew about walt disney and joining me is someone who like walt 
also has many stories we haven't heard and would love to in the future. He is a frequent guest on the show, a longtime friend, an author of nearly, he's going to correct me on this, 20 books about the Disney and company, including his new book, Call Me Walt, Everything You Never Knew About Walt Disney, which you can get, by the way, by visiting www.radio.com slash Walt. Is he is my friend, Mr. Jim Corcus. Well, thank you, Lou. Thank, thank you so much. It, it, it's great to have this opportunity, especially, uh, uh, as you say, with Walt's uh, birthday uh, around the corner, because uh, everybody thinks they know Walt Disney, but if you take a look back at it, all of those, uh, a lot of those biographies and, and documentaries and film, and basically you're defining Walt by what he did. So if you, if you go to somebody and say, Walt Disney, you know, the, the first reaction is going to be, oh, yeah, he created uh, Mickey Mouse. He, he did the first uh, Technicolor animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He did Disneyland. He did audio animatronics. All of those are things. And, and in fact, Walt himself um, created this uh, Walt Disney brand, you, you know, um, and, and so uh, I even told Marty Scalar that that, that uh, one time in, in 65 that he's not Walt anymore, you know. Walt Disney is this, is this thing, and, uh, you know, that when you see the name Walt Disney, you know, uh, it, it triggers these, these certain reactions. But Walt was was a, a human being. He was he, he was a son. He was a a, a brother, a, a father, a, a grandfather. You know, and um, so a lot of things that he was and, and he did, uh, we really don't know because we're so taken up with with uh, as you say, he he transformed the the world. He transformed uh, animation from. Uh, a, uh, a novelty, which is what it was when he first got into uh, uh, doing uh, uh, animation. He, he, he changed it into an art form. He changed how we perceive outdoor entertainment, you know, uh, with, with uh, uh, Disneyland and, and, and boy, the, the ripples that have come from that. Uh, he changed how we looked at, uh, uh, at technology. He changed the whole hospitality industry. That whole concept of wearing name tags and having switchback cues and and things like this this is this is coming from uh, a man who uh, didn't even have one year worth of of high school. You know, he 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 was this uh, Midwest farm boy. You know, who who was self uh, educated and um, you know. My gosh, the impact that that he had, you know, we we just don't know. And and speaking of impact, I don't think you realize how big an impact uh, uh, this podcast has uh, uh, on people. I I, I had an opportunity uh, uh, September thirtieth, October first, to to go out to uh, Anaheim to speak at the uh, uh, Disney Anna. Um, fan club uh, event in fact they dressed me up as merlin uh, for for a breakfast and so so i'm doing old merlin gags and all of that but for merlin they're new gags but uh, doing uh, uh, all of this and you know doing a book signing you know and and people coming up to me and they're, and 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 they're going 
yeah, I heard you on, on Lou's show. I really loved the, the show you guys did on parades. I can't believe it. You, you and I, we, we didn't realize <laughs> it was sort of like, you know, a lot of people have been asking to talk about parades. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and, you know, put something together. And I think we were both surprised <laughs> at how much information we could find. But that seemed to have a real impact. And then I came back um, uh, uh, on that Monday, f- flew back in um, uh, to Orlando, and I was emceeing an event uh, uh, for Bob Gurr, because Bob Gurr's uh, 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 now promoting, uh, there's a DVD documentary out on Bob Gurr, and, and he's uh, uh, promoting that. And it's not a documentary about his life, it's about the documentary of how does Bob Gurr think, you know? <laughs> so how does he think, you know, coming up with this autopia or coming up with uh, the King Kong, the original King Kong that was at uh, uh, Universal Studios uh, uh, Hollywood and then the one that was out here at, at uh, uh, Florida where it's grabbing, you know, at, at, at the Skyway. And I was seated at a table with this... Uh, um, a young woman from uh, Texas named Megan, who works for guest relations uh, at uh, Epcot out here. And she was going on and on about, you know, the parade show and, and, and the uh, Lou Mangiello uh, 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 podcast. And I'm going, well, you know, Lou's not that great. He puts on his <laughs> pants uh, two legs at a time, just like anybody else. But <laughs> um, I took a look in her eyes, and they're just filled with this pixie dust and the that little light bulb moment was this is what Lou's listeners are like they're filled with this disney pixie dust they're filled with i want to know these things you know i love disney and i want to know as much as i i can know and and here's someone who who works at disney and and disney really isn't um Filling that uh, that that hunger that that need, you know, some of it is uh, there's just no time to to do that, you know, because it's a business. But uh, the uh, uh, WDW radio fills that need. It it supplies that information that uh, enriches the experience for these people, and now they can also pass this stuff uh, along because. You and I both know, you know, we, we've interviewed uh, how many people who are just no longer with us anymore. And, and they left us with still so many stories they could tell. And uh, so it's great that we have this opportunity today to talk about uh, uh, Walt and, and, and talk about him as a, as a person. Because, you know, he, especially in the last couple of years, he's certainly come under an awful lot of attack. But I think a lot of that attack is uh, on that uh, uh, corporate Walt Disney brand or identity that that he created rather than who he really was as a person. Right. It's the persona, not the person. And I I think there's Mm -hmm. there's a huge difference. And look, you know, Walt is someone I talk about a a lot, not just uh, on this show, which, look, I... A big reason why I love having you on is because you're not just an amazing storyteller and raconteur, but because we we are very much cut from the same cloth of wanting to make people understand and appreciate and have a better experience. But I talk about Walt, the person, a lot 
when I give presentations to businesses or conferences mm-hmm. or even at schools because I think there are so many life and business lessons that we can learn from him and stories that we can share from Walt that we can take to heart and utilize in our daily lives, you know, personally and professionally. So I think this is really going to be interesting. Again, we don't talk about these things ahead of time because I like being able to just have an, an open conversation well, with you about Well, because neither of us have any time. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us has any time to prepare, you know. It, 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 I, I, th- I think we would uh, come across a lot more intelligent and clever <laughs> if we had some time to, well, you talk about this and I'll talk about that. No, I think this is yes, better. Let's, because let's phrase it, that this way. You I know? think, no, I think, because look, I, I want people, I've since day one, Jim, I've always wanted people to feel like they're sitting at this table with us virtually having being part of this of this conversation where there isn't a lot really prepared and we don't sort of script it out beforehand. So I, I want mm-hmm. you to sort of go first and share with us because especially look, your book is coming out when? When does the book release? Actually the book is out there now, both both paperback and on Kindle. Just in time on, for the holidays. Uh, Amazon.com and I, I guess you have a a link on uh, on your site uh, as well. And so um uh, again, you know, the, uh, I, I, I had the great uh, privilege of knowing um, Diane Disney Miller, uh, somebody who, who left us much too, too soon. And she created the Disney Family Museum in uh, uh, San Francisco because she felt that her dad was just becoming this thing. He was becoming something that you put on... Um, uh, merchandise, you know, rather than a, a, a real human being. And and one of the things that was wonderful about um, uh, Diane is she didn't uh, she loved her father, loved her father tremendously, but but didn't think you know he he was a saint, you know. She she knew that he could be hard on people and uh, uh, you know uh, driven and and all of that. But but at the end of the day. Uh, Walt had significantly more hits than he had uh, 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 misses, and even though he was trapped in the era in which he grew up, you know, mm-hmm. everybody smoked. When Walt smoked, it wasn't it wasn't like it, today. If you smoke, you're a pariah. But it, but in those days, everybody smoked. You know, so it, it's tough to go back now and condemn and say. Walt should not have smoked. Walt shouldn't have, right. you know. But Rod Serling shouldn't have smoked either. John Wayne shouldn't have smoked. All of these people shouldn't have smoked, you know. So, so it, it's not like you can't judge somebody who lived at that time by how you know society is now, because because it, it it's a lot different. So she realized that you know her dad was wasn't perfect, and I've got to admit she was more familiar with her dad when he came home, you know, uh, and uh, the time he spent at home, even as an adult, rather than uh, uh, what he was like at work. And so sometimes I would share stories with her and she'd go, I had never heard that. And I said, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, Diane, that's pretty common. No. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's what was happening up at work. Because, because again, I've inter- and you have too, you know, how many times have you interviewed, you know, uh, uh, children and uh, they had no clue. They had no clue what 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 their dad was doing. When I, when I was out in California, I got the chance uh, to meet um, 
Wayne and Lucky Gracie, who were the two sons of Yale Gracie. Mm. And we, we got to sit and we got to talk, and it was that same experience. They told me all sorts of uh, stories about Yale at, at, at home, that, that he, he was a tinkerer. And, and Lucky said, you know, uh, sometimes we would purposely break our toys because <laughs> Dad would fix them. And when he fixed them, he fixed them so they were better. And that uh, around the dinner table, he would do these little magic tricks. And one of the things that he left for them was this box of self-made magic tricks that he had. He had mm-hmm. But there's no directions whatsoever. <laughs> so they have no clue how any of these thing, things work. And so um, uh, the, the same thing with Diane. She saw her, her dad, you know, at home. She saw, uh, you know, how he reacted to, uh, to, to people in that. And uh, so, you know, I took, of course, extensive notes and all of this. And I just felt, you know, there needs to be a book out there. there there's plenty of Walt biographies. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and I've got uh, dozens. And, and, and some are in foreign languages and uh, all of that. And, you know, even the Disney company starting in the 30s would send out a, uh, a biography uh, about uh, uh, Walt Disney, you know, to newspapers and magazines. And, and again, it, it, the focus it was really on the things he did and also the, you know, the Horatio Algier story, you know, the, the, the uh, poor little boy who through, uh, you know, hard work and imagination, you know, uh, uh, became a, a movie studio uh, uh, producer. But, but there's so much more uh, uh, to Walt. And, and so, again, the, the show is, you know, things you didn't know about Walt. Well, let me start off with one here. Okay, you know, in the late 60s, Walt's plate was full, right? He, he, he was working on the film Mary Poppins, you know, uh, the uh, additions to Disney's, uh, Disneyland's Tomorrowland, the opening of New Orleans Square, an entire new land, right? Uh, plans for Mineral King, uh, the Florida Project, the California Institute of the Arts, you know, uh, besides just uh, the, the, the day-to-day, you know, de- demands at uh, 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 the studio. So you would think, my gosh, this guy has time for nothing else, <laughs> right? I certainly wouldn't. I, I, if I was, yeah, he had plenty of time. <laughs> he was a lawn bowler. In the late 60s at his uh, uh, Palm Springs vacation home, uh, Smoke Tree Ranch, he took up lawn bowling. Now, what lawn bowling is, is um, and it's sometimes called bowling on the green, you, you get these sort of grapefruit-sized uh, 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 balls, and they're, they're called bowls is what they're called. And on a flat rank, rectangular grass uh, uh, landscape on a green here, uh, you're tossing the, the ball, and the one who gets closest to the target ball that's how you score a point and the the bowls are 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 slightly lopsided so they curve when you roll them so you know it, it's a little uh, uh challenging so um walt uh, uh wasn't very good at, at at the sport he really wasn't very good at any sport he was really uncoordinated because as a kid you know he'd get up in the morning to deliver papers and then go to school and then the evening deliver so he didn't have time to 
you know, play sports with his friends and, and uh, uh, all of that. So, you know, he, uh, and besides in Smoke Tree Ranch, he also bowled at the um, uh, Roxbury uh, Memorial Park, which was near uh, his home, the uh, Hills home, you know, on Carrollwood uh, 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 Drive there. And he was an early benefactor of the Beverly Hills Lawn Bowling Club. And uh, uh, after Walt passed, um, his uh, Beverly Hills bowling buddies actually created an annual international tournament. I'll bet you didn't know this in Walt's name that's continued for decades. And the award is this four foot tall perpetual trophy made out of uh, Brazilian redwood. And at the bottom, it has Walt's four personal um, uh, bowling balls, lawn bowling Mm. balls. And it's topped by a uh, foot-high Mickey Mouse uh, gold statue. And uh, the plaque has got a three-dimensional image of uh, uh, Walt. And and here we go, 1964, right? 1964, you got Mary Poppins, you got, you know, the Florida Project, all of this. Walt participated in the United States Lawn Bowling Championships (laughs) at uh, Buck Hills Falls in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. He, he was doing this before he went to to, to get that uh, uh, medal from President Johnson. Walt took his entire Beverly Hills team for a, a U.S. doubles tournament, <laughs> and um, he was also talking to his uh, team members that uh, uh, he was going to take them and their wives to the Australian lawn bowling tournament, and. Um, now, Walt was kind of serious about this because he even had a bowling bag that was hand-tooled. You know, so it's like those movies where you where you have pool sharks and all that, you know, who have their, their own little case and all that. Walt had his own little uh, bag there. And uh, Diane told me that he found the idea of bowling tournaments uh, uh, silly, but, um, uh, you know, he, he participated. He even designed. The lawn bowling green. Walt himself, you know, just like he designed Tom Sawyer Allen, designed the lawn bowling green at Smoke Tree Ranch, which is there today. Hmm. So there. How about that for something we never knew about Walt Disney? And and so that story and more about lawn bowling, uh, uh, again, is, is in the book. And as I was researching the book, you know, you, you come across some of this stuff and you go, Holy cow, Walt was living, you know, eight or ten lifestyles at the same time. Right. You know, where, where did this come from? Well, and I think that's part of, you know, one of the, th- one of the things I want to talk about <clears throat> later on is that, is that there were many different aspects to Walt's life. You know, you might have seen him as the studio head and, and the, the, you know, the designer of this new concept of the, all these different things. But, you know, he was also somebody who, well, maybe I'll say it now, who cares? because his family, I think, was so very important to Walt. You know, oh, he yes. made sure his kids were of utmost importance and to spend time, you know, going to this club with his friends and his wife to do lawn bowling, which reminds me of playing bocce as, as a kid, the same kind of thing. But and one of the quotes from Walt, which is one of my favorites, and I and I use in presentations all the time because I think it's so important and so under recognized represented is <clears throat> Walt said a man should never neglect his family for business. And I'm yes. sure that came from 
an internal mission that he wanted to keep, but probably some guilt because he wasn't able to do it as much as he wanted to. And it was important that family, you know, should be your first business, you know, to make sure that you spend enough time with them, even while you are trying to develop, you know, a new motion picture, keep your company out of bankruptcy, whatever it is. Well, you know, you you bring that up, and that's that's so important. You know, Diane, Diane told me that um, he's running this studio, but every morning, every morning, without fail, he personally drove uh, his daughters, Diane and Sharon, to school. And they went to different schools, you know, because they're three years apart there in, in age. He personally drove, drove them to school, and even when he became a grandfather, he would drive his grandchildren uh, to school each morning when, when he was uh, uh, babysitting them, uh, you know, at, at his house. Or, uh, and uh, in the evening, though, he would have uh, uh, somebody from the studio go pick them up, but he, he personally... And what an impact that's that's got to make on a kid is that your dad is is driving you to school. You know, you're not getting on the school bus. You're not having the studio chauffeur take you there. And and Diane said uh, uh, Walt showed up at every school event, whether it was a PTA meeting or it was a daddy daughter dance or whatever. And she said. I, w- I was always telling him, no, Dad, it's really not that important. You don't need to to come to that. He did. When when Sharon was in a play, he was there, you know. And Sharon didn't want him to come to the play <laughs> because he had that cough. And, and 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 she said, you know, I didn't want him out there in that audience because I knew as soon as he started coughing, I'd get distracted. <laughs> I wouldn't be paying attention to what I needed to do on on uh, on, on stage and. Uh, you know, it took a lot of family vacations. That 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 final one up to to British Columbia on 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 the uh, uh, rented a, uh, a boat so that everybody could could go up there and and take shore uh, shore excursions and things like that. And it's like, look how much this guy time all the, all these things this guy is doing, and he's still taking time, right? You know, to be with his family, to be with his wife. And he always made sure he was home every night by 7.30. And uh, especially when, when the kids were younger, they all ate dinner together. So they, they could uh, uh, talk about, about the day. And Diane said, yes, Dad would talk about work, but he would always ask us about what our day was like, and he would listen. Now... Also, Walt would go to bed by 9.30, so you're having dinner at 7.30. There's not a heck of a lot of time, but whatever time he has there, he, he, right. he, he's devoting to them. And, um, yeah, the, there's a chapter in the book about Walt as a dad, and there's a chapter in the book about Walt as a, as a grandfather, where, where he treated his grandchildren pretty much the same as he, he treated his, his two daughters uh, there, you know? And, and, and again, his feeling that, um, you know, you don't give them rules, you know, you try and teach them by example and hope that they will become <laughs> intelligent and be able to make good choices on their own. Right. And, and that's the thing. I think what, that's what he was making sure he was doing by taking his kids to work, by being present, not just physically, but present mentally at dinner 
shows that, you know, the lesson is you need to keep, you know, things and business and life in perspective. And he said on more than one occasion, you know, with all the successes that he had, the happiest moments in his life were the times that he spent with his kids and his grandkids. Mm-hmm. You know, family mm-hmm. was his first business. Um, you know, they were always part of his dream, always part of his vision, always within his focus. So he was never so busy that, you know, the family, um, you know, fell to the side, whether it was his kids, his grandkids, his wife, who I think was probably the only person who could ever say no and get away with it. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, yeah. Well, well, I think Roy sometimes, well, I, I, sometimes Roy couldn't get away with <laughs> right. saying no. But but yeah, I, I think Lillian, uh, uh, that that was the, the case. What What's interesting to me, too, is that those were two separate worlds, the, his work life and his home life. And, and so even people who knew him at the studio, like Ward Kimball and all that, uh, Ward was, was telling me, Walt's life is, uh, private life is pretty gray because nobody knows anything uh, about it. He doesn't, you know, he comes and he, he talks about how proud he is about his daughters and, and, and things like that. He says, but we have no clue. <laughs> what he does once he once he leaves the 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 studio and and the same thing is Walt you know kept his family um, pretty clueless about what was going on at at work right. you know uh, it, when he came home that that was the life Diane said you know it, it, it was like having a playmate come home every night. You know, we'd run and 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 hug him. A couple of the grandkids uh, said that that as well. Uh, two of the grandkids told me that uh, when they would watch the weekly TV show, and Walt would come on, and they were really really young, they would crawl to the TV and kiss the image <laughs> on the TV um, because the image on the TV was pretty much the image that that they saw as well. But but again, you know, I have people ask me all the time. Well, was the Disney family involved with the studio and and after Walt? No, no, not really. It it was two separate worlds there, and and Walt didn't uh, you know um, uh, uh, train or prepare his family to 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 take over the work. You know, that was something else. And I think, look, and obviously it was a different time back then, and and there's different distractions and things that we have now. But I think. You know, there's an important takeaway there, not to sort of start, you know, waxing poetic, but, you know, as as busy as we say we are, I don't have time for this. Do you find, look, if Walt could make time and find time for his family, like we can too, however busy we are with some mm-hmm. of the other things in business and life that are sometimes distracting to us. Um, well, you know. well I, I, think, I think we always think, well, there, there'll be plenty, there'll be plenty of, time of time for that. Right. Yeah, there'll, there'll be, I, I, you know, I really got... I see that. Um, actually, I see that with uh, my own uh, uh, brother, who uh, uh, was working at, at, at Disney. He just recently uh, retired, and he was in a uh, uh, a major executive uh, position, and uh, he really had to have a wake up call because Disney can absorb all of your time because there are fire drills happening every single moment, you know. Uh, we needed this last Monday, you know, we need you to come in this weekend and get this done and, and, and all of that. And if you're not careful, Disney will absorb all of that time. And in, in Mike's case, he was not having enough time, uh, uh spending with his, uh, uh, son growing up, but he, but he had one of those, uh, 
revelation moments. And so he, he started to readjust his life because uh, something happened and he realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm missing these things. And it's not like I can go back and, and, and see that first baseball game. I can't go back and re-experience, you know, uh, uh, this thing that he's going through. It's happening constantly. Well, you must you must run into that uh, yourself. You, you, you're a father of of two children, and and my gosh, look at all the things that uh, uh, you're juggling. You know, the mighty uh, Mangello Entertainment <laughs> Enterprise here, and 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 not only that, but but all of that extended family you have of of listeners who are who are constantly writing to you or phoning you or, or uh, meeting you in the parks and, and, and all of that, you know. Uh, you must find it uh, challenging to try and create that balance so th- that there's time for your immediate family. Well, you know, it's funny because when I was practicing law, and I tell my kids this all the time, look, I, I pick up my – I'm with my kids every morning – you know, having breakfast before they go to school. I pick them up every day from school. Mm-hmm. I eat dinner with them every single night, you know, barring exigent circumstances. And I said, look, if I was still practicing law in New Jersey, you probably wouldn't see me, you know, the way no. you see me now. And they might like that, but they probably wouldn't see me as much or, or as often. But it was more important for me to be present with them and to not miss any of those moments. Um, and, you know, we've all... You know, we embrace the extended family. You know, my my extended family is is very much an extension of my immediate family. And you know, the the lifestyle that we lead, we are very fortunate and very blessed to have. And you know, it, it's one of the things that you know I think hopefully, like Walt, my kids are learning from the lessons I am trying to impart to them, which is you can do anything you want. You can find that thing you love and turn it into what you do. And you can make sure you spend every moment that you can with your family um, and chain your daughter to the radiator. So she never leaves the house um, (laughs) because you don't want her to grow. You you can do most things that you want. I I don't picture you being an NBA player. You know, I don't picture you out there on the basketball court (laughs) opposite LeBron. No, but, (laughs) But you know what, Jim? If I had a passion for basketball and I wanted mm-hmm. to share that passion, I would find a way to do it. I would make a podcast. I would do videos. I would I would mm. do something because that's the that's right. That's, that's the right. day and age that we live in now. You know, we mm-hmm. are we have the ability to produ- be producers and con- I mean, not to sort of go off on a tangent, but you know, I, I as I was thinking about this earlier today, I'm like, man, could you imagine Walt Disney? Grow and, I, and I'm going to segue this into one of the, the things I wanted to talk about. Could you imagine Walt Disney growing up in 2017 with the technology and the resources and the information available to him? Right, because mm-hmm. I think one of the things, well, well especially with his his natural curiosity about right. new technology, and and more importantly, how to make how to humanize that technology. You know the, the the audio animatronics technology for the for the tiki birds. You know somebody else might have been able to come up with that was technology that that the U.S. military was using on on rockets that that were being shot up in the air. That that's how the different um, uh, uh, stages were dropping off. Is is you you sent off a, a sound pulse that you know opened the clip so that that stage would drop off. 
Well, Walt saw, oh, look, it's closed, and you send sound, and then it opens, and then you kill the sound, and it closes. That's like the beak on a bird, you know? My gosh. <laughs> right, you, right. You know, and, and, and so now we see the Tiki Room, and I still love the Tiki Room. I still love the original uh, Tiki Room, and and yet this is technology that was meant you know, uh, uh, for for rocket ships. So yes, if he if Walt was growing up with new technology today, he'd be humanizing it, and he'd be able to look at it in different perspectives. Well, Don't I blow think... my mind so early in the podcast. <laughs> we, we've still got uh, uh, halfway of the podcast here to go here. Well, and I think, but but, but, but yes, you're 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 absolutely uh, uh, right. You know. Um, and and again, you know, even if Walt had not gone into animation, which was his passion, even as a kid, was was the cartoons because he, you know, he got recognition. He more importantly, he he was able to make people laugh. You know, he he, he liked that. Uh, if he had grown up to be a a, a, a supermarket owner, imagine what supermarkets <laughs> today would it would have looked like. You know, but I think that's that's it. I think. Look, I, I always believe, Jim, as somebody who had a radical career change relatively late in my life, going from attorney in New Jersey to whatever this thing is that I do, unlike my, my yes, journey redeem, is very, redeeming yourself, you know, redeeming yourself from a life of, you know, you know, sin there. I think one thing people might not realize is that Walt found his calling, I think, at a very, very young age. And when I say yeah, young, I don't right. mean in his 20s. I mean... When he was like five years no, old, no, wait, uh, ten, eleven years old. Well, I would even go yeah, back. He, to, he, 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 he was laser focused. This is what I, and and again, the insane thing is he's laser focused on this, and there really isn't a career. You know, uh, uh, when uh, uh, Walt started being interested in uh, uh, doing cartoons, comic strips let alone comic books and all this, comic strips hadn't really, you know, taken off or, or had become a, a firm thing. If you were going to be a cartoonist, you would have been an editorial cartoonist for a newspaper, and all of those jobs were already taken by guys who had been there for years and years, you know, and you were not going to get that job unless they kicked off and the hundred other people who wanted that job, you know, weren't there. And so for him to think at a young age, this is what I'm going to do, and this is only what I want to do, again, it, it, it's absolutely incredible. But as you were saying, he was so focused on that that everything he was doing, every other thing he was doing was helping support so he could get towards that dream that he wanted uh, uh, to accomplish, and yes, that, that's open. That's open to people today. I, I listen. I have friends in their late twenties, and they still have no clue what they want to do with the rest of their life. <laughs> but I think it's fascinating you know? that that for Walt, this this um, again, I sort of call you know, I I, I refer to it as it's it, calling. It, it, it's a passion. It was a, it was a calling. But it comes, and is it almost a moment that you can refer to as the the genesis or the catalyst? So he's five years old. And one of his neighbors, by the name of Doc Sherwood, is right. the very first person to ever pay Walt Disney for a drawing. And that was of Doc's horse, Rupert. And if you remember mm -hmm. back at the old Walt Disney story on Main Street USA, so I'll do put the Wayback Machine to like April, May-ish, 1973, mm -hmm. 
I remember this, and I, and I looked up a copy of the script, and he talked about these two friends that he had. And one of them was Grandpa Taylor, who would talk about all of his Civil War stories, and the other one was this retired doctor named Doc Sherwood, who had this mm-hmm. uh, horse named Rupert. And the Doc would have him go over, and he brought his crayons that his aunt brought him, and I'll, I'll get to her in a little bit, and brought his table, his, his uh, crayons and his big chief tablet to draw pictures of Rupert for him, and he would give him, you know, a nickel or dime or something like that, mm-hmm. and you think that that maybe for Walt may have been, you know, you try and point to a moment, and I think, the, you know, the other thing too, Jim, and I was, as I was thinking about this and Walt's early childhood, and something that maybe not everybody is, is as familiar with is... You know, Walt's childhood was not easy um, no, at no, all. And, no. and I think there's a takeaway here, too, which is, look, it doesn't matter where you start. You know, sometimes that rough childhood or rough beginning or, or a rough go at business could make you who you become. You know, when the farm failed and Walt's at, up at 3.30 in the morning and he's on this paper route, and, you know, he's got this sort of very Dickensian boyhood. And I think that helped grow his vision or this uh, of an escape to a utopian world that he wanted to put down on paper and then on celluloid and then in three dimension uh, those things and the things that he encountered as a kid really including the hard times inspired his animations and the theme parks and all the things that came to him later in life well i i, I think basically what walt was learning there as a kid is no matter how hard it is it's not going to kill you. You can you can survive. You can you can move on. You don't need to to give up. And and yes, it, it, his parents never bought him any toys. Uh, sometimes uh, his older brother uh, Roy would set aside a, a, a couple of uh, uh, extra pennies or whatever, and sometimes buy Walter's younger sister Ruth, you know, like a top or or, or something, you know, something very inexpensive and simple. But he didn't have any toys. That, uh, uh, as, as a kid, it always had to be practical. His, his father wouldn't allow them to butter uh, the toast at breakfast because you could take that butter and you could go sell it to the neighbors. And so his mother would sometimes butter the toast underneath when she gave it to, to Walt and, and Roy so they could have, you know, just a, a, a little uh, uh, taste of that. And, and it was it was hard work, you know, on the farm. Now, Walt was very young, so there was not a lot of things he could do on the, the farm, but there was still enough, you know, and, and you have to milk those cows every morning. You can't just say, oh, well, it's the weekend. I'm not going to get up and milk the cows. Cows get very irritated, <laughs> you know. Uh, you get discontented milk if you, you, you don't uh, do those things, and, and you have to do that at, at the crack of dawn. But you were talking about uh, Sherwood. I think one of the things that helped Walt is he had an awful lot of uh, angels in his life. Not not just uh, uh, Sherwood, but you you were mentioning his aunt, Aunt Margaret, who would who would buy him these these very cheap um, uh, pads of uh, of paper. Maybe there there are people in uh, uh, your listening audience who can uh, uh, remember because the, these lasted through the fifties and the sixties. They were such cheap pulp paper that you could actually see little bits of wood, you know, in the paper because it, it was the, you know, uh, you wouldn't pay to refine the, the, the paper to, to get to that. She supplied him, uh, you know, with that. Uh, Bert Hudson, who ran a, uh, a barber shop, 
uh, he would post up Walt's cartoons uh, on the windows and give Walt a free haircut. And if Walt didn't need a free haircut, yeah, he'd, he'd give him a, a dime or something, you know, uh, for this. This is, again, this stuff is, is in the book there. But basically, there were angels who were helping him along for his dream. And, and I think a lot of us are not paying attention to the angels uh, in our life. And, and where I'm heading with this is I've always found you. Uh, one of the angels in my life that 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 have constantly, you know, uh, supported my my research and 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 my writing and and to try and get it out uh, to other people. And so, no matter how tough things can be, there are angels out there who are helping you along. But you've got to do a lot of that work yourself. And and Walt did, you know, Walt did. Walt Walt uh, uh, it took some. Uh, 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 art classes on the weekends and, and things like that. It wasn't like, well, because I see kids today. They wake up in the morning and they go, oh, I see those people on, on Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. I, I could do that. <laughs> no, there's a lot more that goes <laughs> into that, you know? And it, and it's not just learning the lines, you know? There, there, there's an understanding of the character. There There's learning about timing. There's learning, you know, even something as simple as hitting your marks, you know? But, but it, it, I see a lot of, uh, uh, especially kids today, who, if it's tough, well, I'll just give up. You know, I'll go on to something else. And and Walt never did. This is what I'm going to do. And no matter how many stumbling blocks are are are, are there, I'm going to, you know, go ahead and and do that. Diane, Diane told me that uh, Walt was so excited to be in art class that if he had to go to the bathroom. He trained himself to hold it <laughs> until the break because he didn't want to miss one second of what was being taught, what was being shown. And just quickly going back to, to Aunt Margaret, who I think is sort of a, a lost Disney, for lack of a better word. And there's another one yes. I'm going to talk about, too, I think because I think she's she's very important. And I love the, the term angel. And you almost made me cry when you were talking about that. So thank you. But. Didn't one of the reasons why she brought him the the crayons and stuff was because didn't Walt draw on the side of the house or the bar uh, the the barn with tar <laughs> right he was using yeah, tar uh, on the uh, house uh, basically Elias had used um, uh, some tar to seal some barrels you know uh, 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 because they were going to catch rainwater things like that and Elias and Flora Walt's mom and dad. Uh, uh, left, and uh, Walt was also very mischievous, and so what he did is he took a stick and he dipped it into the tar, and on the side of the wall, the white wall that was facing the road, of all things, <laughs> he, he, he was drawing these um, uh, houses and little uh, chimneys with squiggles coming out, and then uh, he convinced his, his younger sister, uh, Ruth, you know, to take a stick and, you know, draw some zigzags. And he says, oh, yeah, 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 we're, we'll wipe this off before, you know, mom and dad get home. And, um, uh, of course, they didn't realize that tar is different than paint or anything else. And once it dries, it hardens. And and it it's there, you know. And um, I, I think that Walt got Ruth involved because he wouldn't be the only one in trouble, you know, uh, uh, for for that to happen. But his dad, of course, blew up, and then his dad left it there 
forever <laughs> so that Walt could learn that lesson by seeing, look what you've done, you know, to the house. And uh, Kay Mallins, who, uh, uh, you know, got, got the house, she, she does the uh, Walt Disney uh, Hometown Museum up there in Marceline. They, they said they've tried to pull off, you know, the layers of paint to see if they could find, you know, the images of that tar still underneath there, and they've been unable to do that. Mm-hmm. The, the sad story about Aunt, Aunt Margaret um, that, again, a lot of people don't know, uh, is uh, Walt said, you know, she she was always praising what I was doing. She's, he said, I look back at it now, and, and I realize, you know, how lame. <laughs> that He didn't use the word lame, but, you know, uh, that it wasn't really strong, but she was always giving him that praise and support. And so when he became successful with Mickey Mouse, one of the first things he did was he went over, uh, she was married to uh, Uncle Robert, is he went over to the house uh, to, to uh, show, show her some, uh, uh, some new uh, uh, drawings for, uh, I think it was for Snow White, uh, that, he, that was being done. And unfortunately, Margaret had by that time gotten uh, Alzheimer's. So uh, he, he said that just, uh, you know, drained the joy out of my body that this, this woman who had always supported me when I finally could show her, you know, that her support had led to, you know, me being successful here. And she just couldn't understand it. So... And and as Walt says, you know, with every laugh, there's got to be a tear, and 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 that's a that's a story that always brings uh, a little tear to me because it it brought one to to Walt. Walt wanted to say, look, I I want to show you, you know, <laughs> this is because of you. You 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 know, you were constantly encouraging me to uh, to draw. And and again, Walt drew until you know, the end of his life, you know, I, I, I even talked with Disney animators who go, oh, well, Walt probably couldn't even draw the tail on, on Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Walt, if you take a look at the existing artwork of Walt, Walt could draw, and Walt could draw very well, but he very quickly realized there are people who can draw a lot better than I can, right. you know, and my strengths lie with, with storytelling. You know, his grandchildren, uh, one of them told me that that one of the things that Grandpa always liked to do was he would give them um, this red grease pencil that that Walt always liked uh, to use to correct on scripts and have them close their eyes and just draw a squiggle on on a piece of paper and then Walt would come in and transform it into an animal or a machine or you know uh, things like that you know so. Uh, uh, but again, that's one of the misconceptions we have out there. Oh well, Walt really couldn't draw. Yes, he could, and, and he could actually draw very well. You know, he he, he sketched out uh, the outline for for Tom Sawyer's Island for crying out loud. He he he, he drew a, a rough copy of uh, you know uh, what how he wanted Epcot to be designed. And and again, the background he had as an artist allowed him to communicate to other artists. Peter Ellenshaw. Uh, the great Matt artist uh, 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 for Disney, uh, you know, it, it said that uh, Walt was the only person he knew who really wasn't an artist, but could talk like an artist and and help you to understand, you know, what he wanted you to do visually. 
So, and, and again, you know, it, just another one of the things that, um, you know, uh, we take for granted. Sometimes if people say something over and over and over, we, we go, oh, well, that must be true because everybody's saying that. <laughs> it, it, it's not. Hey, let, let me give you a, 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 another thing you never knew uh, about Walt Disney. As I said, he was home every night at uh, 7.30. And, of course, when Diane and uh, Sharon were living there, they, they would eat dinner together. But once, you know, uh, Sharon and Diane got married, you know, uh, they moved out. It was just Walt and Lillian. And so he'd come home and he'd eat with Lillian, but they'd eat on TV trays in front of the TV. <laughs> And Lillian said what drove her crazy is if there was a lousy program that came on, she goes, well, I'll just change that. And Walt goes, no, 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 no. I, I want to study that. I want to see what they, they got wrong so I can <laughs> do that. Now, here's something. And again, this is in the book, so uh, you don't have to constantly replay the podcast to get this information. <laughs> what were the two game shows that Walt and Lillian loved to watch match do, games do you have any ma- clue m- match game 73 and <laughs> america's got talent <laughs> no, no uh, 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 in 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 the in the 50s and 60s they loved watching groucho Marx on you bet your life hmm. and it made walt laugh and the other quiz show and this is a quiz show i was completely unfamiliar with but I have a direct quote from Lillian that, that this was a, a, a show uh, that they liked to watch was one that was called Two for the Money by a comic called Herb Schreiner. Hmm. And I am completely unfamiliar with the show and with, with the, the comic. But I do know, uh, you know, those uh, and again, you know, you, you've got you've got listeners who are who are probably listening right now and are are, and are Googling that, you know, <laughs> right. and, and the box people are going to say, well, Jim didn't know what this show was. This show was the da 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 da, you know. Um, uh, so, again, you know, we're, we're so involved with uh, all these other things, things that Walt did that you know we we don't pay it uh, pay attention to look he he was a person he was uh, as peter ellenshaw uh, told me he says it was just amazing walt was just such an ordinary person but he was so extraordinary and 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 we couldn't understand that you know that that um you know he he went around the world he knew all of these things and yet he was so unsophisticated in wait, so many ways. Wait, so here's a trivia question from your trivia question. And I, okay. I, I want to be careful how I ask it so I don't give it away too easily. Which one of Walt's friends appeared on You Bet Your Life? Ooh, ooh, great trivia question. And and I've got that on videotape, too. Of course you do. I, I, I think they even <laughs> run it on YouTube. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I've seen a, a screen capture of it. And the answer is... Ward Kimball. Ward Kimball. There you go. Of course, Jim Ward Kimball. I and and I and I'll bet Walt watched the episode where War, Ward was was on that. And 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 yeah, you you, you see Groucho going. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that clip, I've got to bring that clip over and 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 uh, <laughs> and, and, and and show it to you. It, it it's very funny. It's it, it's about ten fifteen minutes uh, uh, long. And 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 Ward is teamed up with this. Um, 
uh, average housewife who who is looking at Ward as if this man is insane. <laughs> <laughs> which he and, may, and actually, which he very well. He, he, right, he Marx <laughs> asks is. Um, he, he uh, you know, after he had talked with with Ward and made fun of you know Ward's uh, uh, backyard train and all that, uh, one of didn't the questions. Like, did he ask him like, "Are the, you a the, duck?" The truth. One of the questions is, name the cricket in Pinocchio, <laughs> and 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 Groucho Marx looks at 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 Ward and goes, "You dirty dog." <laughs> <laughs> Because Ward, of course, is the one who uh, designed and animated Jiminy Cricket. But um, you watch this show, too, and you realize how little money these people were making. Right. <laughs> I guess we're, we're used to the fact of, yes, you're going to win $10,000, you're going to win $100,000, you are going to win a million dollars, you know, uh, for this. This is just chump change back, back in those days. But... Uh, um, I, I, I guess you know that that was also uh, uh, you know a, a lot of money in those days. Yeah. You know we don't we don't realize that uh, now that you know a dime used to buy you a comic book or or a candy bar or two candy bars or yeah. you know uh, a dime is what you would use to make a phone call. You know. Um, all right, so oh, I'm gonna well. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw another um, a, a little thing you might not have known about Walt Disney, which is actually I'm gonna like sneak two into one because they're they're sort of tied in together. Um, okay. Because I want to I'm gonna use one you, to get. You, to- look, you you don't have to explain this. It's your show. <laughs> you can do anything you want. You know. All right. So uh, in the middle of the show, you could talk about somebody besides Walt Disney because it's your show. You can <laughs> like do Ward Kimball, okay. you bet your life. All right. So when Walt first came to Hollywood, yes. part of the reason why he was coming was to visit his brother Roy, who was in the hospital with tuberculosis. Right. And I don't think a lot of people realize that Roy was like. He was sick. Like he was very sick. He was he was in the Navy for just a couple of years and then uh when he was discharged, I guess he was a, a banker in LA. And when Walt um left Kansas City after, you know, obviously Laphagram didn't do as well as expected, and he moved to Hollywood, he wanted to come to direct, maybe even act, but his brother Roy was in the hospital and when Walt had a tough time finding work Roy's like, look, man, you've got to go back to doing what you do best. You need to go back to drawing cartoons and things like that. And he went to the different studios and had a tough time finding a job. And then he was trying to sell some of the the Alice stuff to um, distributors in New York. And that eventually, you know, continues that way. And and Walt... um, ends up going back to the hospital and and talking to his brother Roy about the offer from Margaret Winkler and and the details and and really starts to push Roy into going into business together. And Roy, being Roy, was not so sure that they'd be able to do it. He also knew that because he was sick, he wouldn't necessarily be able to go to, um, to, to do an office job. But Walt's like, look, man, you need as much as I need to go and do cartoons, you need to get out of hospital and come and join me. But the 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 where are, the connection that I was going with here is that when he first gets to um, California, again, I think this is one of the the 
unknown or unheralded Disney's that I don't I don't think gets enough credit or recognition. And maybe Walt's story is very different had it not been for him is not necessarily Aunt Margaret, but it's Uncle Robert, mm. um, who look early on he pursue he, he he persuades Elias to move to Marceline after you know things in Chicago are not going the way he likes. He's not thrilled with with life in the big city and maybe the impact that it's having on his kids. Um, but when he goes out to California, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, didn't he stay? Didn't didn't Walt stay with Robert for a little while, and then eventually he was yes, borrowing yeah, small yeah. amounts of and, money and from in him? In fact, Robert Robert was a big um, uh, investment entrepreneur, but he was also a real hard nose. So <laughs> his nephew is coming out here. His nephew obviously broke, having a hard time, whatever. And so Robert charges him $5 <laughs> a month rent to to stay there and and mostly that was paid by Roy um but uh uh also uh, uh then Walt says you know I I I want a place you know to to start a studio and do some animation so Robert charged him an additional dollar a month to use the garage <laughs> next door uh, uh 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 for that and and in fact um it was also Robert um uh, who came up with uh, uh, money to fund the first uh, uh, Disney Brothers studio. And Roy knew, you know, that he was such a hard case that the very first uh, debtor they paid back in full immediately was was uh, Uncle Robert. And, and in fact, after uh, uh, Walt left um, uh, uh, Uncle Robert's and, uh, along with Roy, uh, they actually rented a, a, a room much cheaper uh, at the house <laughs> right across the street from Robert's. And, and Robert's dog, um, uh, Peggy, is the one that uh, pops up, uh, a, a German Shepherd pops up in the uh, uh, Alice comedies there. And, and, you know, if you are interested in Walt's family, in Call Me Walt, one of the things I do is I have individual chapters devoted to each of the Disney family members, Roy and, and Raymond and Herbert and, and, and Ruth and Flora and Elias. And uh, so Roy actually graduated from Manual Training High School in Kansas City in 1912, and then he worked as a bank clerk at the First National Bank of Kansas City. And and uh, uh, Roy once said that if it weren't for Walt, he probably would have ended up being a bank manager for the rest mm-hmm. of his life. And and in World War II, Roy was uh, served in the Navy from 1917 to 1919. He was a petty officer on uh, a ship in the Atlantic that was assigned uh, to transport uh, material uh, from New York to France and, and to protect uh, uh, convoy ships and um Roy actually saw uh, 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 Allied ships being blown up. And uh, I talked with his uh, son, Roy E., and he said, yeah, I tried to talk to Dad about you know his experiences during the war and all that. He just didn't want to talk about that. Um, uh, Roy was honorably discharged, but, uh, but because of his time on the ship, uh, he developed uh, tuberculosis, and he was actually moved to like three different... 
uh, or at least two different facilities before he ended up in uh, uh, Los Angeles. And he ended up in Los Angeles because it was a drier atmosphere. And so if you were suffering from tuberculosis, um, that's, uh, you know, that would help, you know, with that. And you're right. Walt went to him and he says, look, I got this uh, contract from Margaret Winkler. You got to sign yourself out of the, uh, you know, the Veterans Hospital uh, here in in Los Angeles. And so Roy did. He got up and he signed himself out. (laughs) And that was it. And he never had a recurrence of uh, TB. Although in the early years when they were um, uh, had the uh, uh, Disney Brothers studio on um, uh, Kingswell, they're the, the, the very first one where they're doing um, uh, the Alice comedies. Um, sometimes uh, uh, Roy would get so uh, weak that he would have to leave sometimes in the afternoon to go home and rest uh, for a bit because he still had uh, uh, some of those uh, after effects. And um, my gosh, you know, uh, I was talking about angels in your life. If if it hadn't have been for Roy Disney, Roy Disney said he would have ended up as a bank manager. If it hadn't been for Roy Disney, Walt might have just ended up being, you know, just one of those nameless animators right. that worked for uh, a, a small animation studio, you know, uh, uh, rather than, you know, running his own company there. And, and Roy always had his back. Roy didn't always agree. <laughs> and... Um, they would get into huge arguments that Walt referred to as screamers, you know, and sometimes they wouldn't talk to each other for weeks or months. They would only talk through intermediaries. Um, and uh, Edna, uh, 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 Roy's wife, and, and I, I, I quote her in the book there, she said, often Lillian and I would, would sit and we would talk about the uh, what we called the Disney disposition, which was that terrible temper that was just like uh, their their father had that that would just you know uh, uh, take no prisoners you know it, it it's just like an atomic bomb going off. Listen, as much as I would like to have sat at dinner and listened to conversations between Walt and Roy, man, I would have loved to hear conversations between Lillian and Edna because that's when the real good stuff would have come out. <laughs> Well, and and again, you talk about that time period, you know, these are wives who, you know, our husbands are good men, you know, they they don't have a a straying eye, they're not, you know, there's never, there was never any indication that Walt was, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, interested in other women in in, in any way, you know, he had a wife, that was it, and and Roy the same, you know, you, you have these solid, and they're bringing home the money, and they're, you know, and, and, and they're good fathers and all that. So, you know, so if they have these little eccentricities, you know, you you put up with that. You know, Roy took up the hobby of uh, uh, gardening because uh, he wanted a hobby where he would be there at home. He wouldn't be away doing something else. He did do polo for for a little bit, but I think he did that because... Walt was doing that, and he just wanted to sort of keep an eye on Walt. But uh, he got out of polo way before uh, uh, Walt did. He he convinced Walt to get out of that because it was just too dangerous, but not in time for, you know, Walt to have that uh, uh, polo accident where he got uh, hit by that uh, uh, ball. And instead of going to a doctor, he went to a chiropractor, 
And so what happened is over the years, a calcium deposit uh, developed, you know, in the back of um, uh, uh, Walt's neck there. And it got so bad, you know, in the 60s that the pain would just radiate down his back and down his leg. And sometimes to the point where he had to drag his leg. So that's where some of the thing comes from that I, I talk about. Oh, well, Walt was drunk because he, he, he often was stumbling. No, it was because of the pain in his leg. And, and when they went on that uh, uh, British Columbia uh, 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 cruise, uh, it uh, was his son-in-law, Ron, it was telling me Walt sometimes had to grab his pants and lift his leg up in order to get into a boat. You know, that, that's why he finally agreed to go in and, you know, I've got to get surgery because, you know, uh, uh, Walt referred to himself as, as Gimpy because, you know, it, it would sometimes happen and this would go on. See, we, uh, I can't be on a podcast with you. We, we talk about one thing and we go off into all of these tangents in the woods and all of this. And, and these people at home are going, what are these guys talking about? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so bring us back around. Give me another, give me something else that people probably don't know about Walt. Uh, Walt was a Boy Scout. Uh, in uh, 1914, you know, uh, Walt uh, went to the Congregational Church. You know, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, Walt was about, what, 12 years old or, or so at, at the time, and the Sunday school classes there formed a uh, Boy Scout troop, uh, and uh, uh, he really wasn't in very long. He only reached uh, tenderfoot uh, level, but he maintained a great respect for Boy Scouts uh, throughout his life. You know, I, I, I think some people know he received the Silver Buffalo Award from the Boy Scouts in uh, 1946, which is, you know, a very, very prestigious, like one of the top honors you can give. But something that people don't know is Walt sponsored a Boy Scout troop at the Disney Studios and they met on Monday nights, and Walt would sometimes go and attend. Hmm. You know? So, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of, you know, get the Bob Thomas book, Walt Disney, an American original. That's not in there. <laughs> you know? Uh, it, 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 it's not in the Neil Gabler book or, or, or all. Because Walt did so many things for crying out loud. You know? How how are you going to slip in one paragraph of, you know, Walt used to be a Boy Scout, <laughs> and in fact, he sponsored a Boy Scout troop. Holy cow. But that's in my that. book. So, so again, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, is so that this information will be out there and available. And And again, the book's not a biography, it's not chronological, and it's definitely not definitive. In, in fact, uh, uh, I'm sitting here uh, looking at the floor on, on some of my notes of, of things that I just didn't have room for in the book. So if this book sells, we get a sequel with more <laughs> Walt stories. If it doesn't, at least I've got that book uh, um, uh, out. Oh, here, I, I'm, I'm just going to take your time and, and tell another story because this is a story that Floyd Norman uh, uh, told me. And for those of you who don't know... Um, uh, uh, Floyd Norman, uh, uh, he, he was uh, the uh, first black animator at, at the Disney Studios. He was personally hired by Walt, and Walt personally promoted him uh, to Story Man 
on uh, Jungle Book, and Story Man was about the highest status you could have at at the Disney Studio uh, in those days. Story Man was more important than director, you know, uh, for that to, uh, to go on. And and of course, uh, Floyd wrote the uh, uh, foreword uh, for my book. So 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 thank you, Floyd. Floyd Floyd's a good uh, uh, friend. And when I was out in California uh, as Merlin. Uh, pulled Floyd up on stage, and so Merlin interviewed Floyd. <laughs> oh yes, I'm doing that. Oh yes, uh, oh oh my 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 yes. And you were because uh, uh, Floyd was Milt Call's assistant. Milt Call uh, animated um, uh, Merlin and Madame Mim, so we got some great stories from him. But but here's a here's a great story because because again we get. Uh, I just ran into that this week with 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 someone who goes. No, Walt was racist. Walt was, uh, and and I go no. I I, I said you know uh, uh, there were people who were racist who worked at the at the Disney Studios. In fact, uh, uh, Floyd told me he was up for a position um, in layout and he didn't get it because uh, the head of the layout department felt uncomfortable working with uh, a person of color. He says, but Walt never knew any of that, and he says I ended up being a story man. Was he so much better? Um, but Floyd told me he never personally heard any racist behavior or words from Walt, and, and certainly not when uh, Floyd was in the room pitching story stuff and all of that. But here's something he told me that I didn't know, and, and now you guys will know. Uh, in the 50s and 60s, there was a black janitor at the studio. His name was Claude Wilson. Okay, and a janitor, uh, you know, is pretty much invisible, you know, because people never pay much attention. You know, the janitor comes in, he's emptying the trash cans, whatever. And so a janitor actually overhears a lot of uncensored conversations and all that, you know, as he's cleaning up. He never heard Walt being racist, you know. Uh, uh, You know, well, you know, here's Walt on stage. Of course he's not going to say anything. Well, here in his private thing, he never heard anybody... Uh, who worked with Walt, calling Walt racist. Now, Claude Wilson, boy, I, I wish I had uh, known he even existed, uh, and I'm sure he's no longer allow, around, but he also moonlighted as a bartender at Walt's parties <laughs> at the uh, Carrollwood home. And um, so even in those days, uh, Claude was up there in years, and, and Floyd told me, this guy ran the bar, and he always spoke well of Walt, and he loved working for him. And, and he said that Walt always treated him, you know, as, as an equal, always treated him, you know, no condescension or, well, even in, like, well, you're a bartender. dude. It's like, no, he's another human being. And uh, Floyd said, you know, we talked about this stuff privately. So if there had been anything, anything at all about racism, uh, you know, the this old gentleman, you know, would have made his feelings known to me just to warn me, you know, you got to be careful, right. you know, because this is going to come back. And, you know, because especially in, in those days, especially in the 50s and, and, and the early 60s, uh, quite a different time and, and quite a different uh, uh, reaction to, to people who were uh, African-American. But the, the whole point was, um, no. You know, you you could be any any color, you could be any sex, you could be any age, you could be any religion. All that Walt cared for was, can you do the job? And so, um, 
during World War II, there was actually a, um, a, a, a female Japanese artist working there. And Walt came in, and uh, this is an interview she gave, and, and, and she said, Walt was very concerned. He says, when people come in to ask you, you know, uh, uh, who you are, what do you say? And she said, oh, oh, don't worry, Mr. Disney. I tell them I'm part uh, uh, Korean and part Chinese and part Hawaiian and, and part Japanese. And Walt looked at me, and he says, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. When people ask you, you just tell them, I am an American. You know, it's none of their business who you are. She said, but he worried about me. He worried about the other um, uh, uh, Japanese artists. You know, if, if you know, we were being um, uh, uh, harassed or threatened or, or, or things like uh, uh, this, you know. And uh, so, my gosh, you know, and, and, and again, Walt's very much a person of his time, but to me, he's constantly doing these type of things that sort of, you know, elevates him, you know, a, a little bit more. It's like, holy cow, you know, holy cow, you know, here's a, here's a guy. And again, he grew up in the Midwest. So, it, so it's not like he had, uh, growing up, it's not like he had a lot of interaction with, with people from different uh, countries or colors or, or whatever. And yet, everybody's the same. A person is a person, and uh, he loved talking to kids. He loved talking... His wife Lillian said he loved talking to old people. He loved talking to old people about their lives and what their life was like, you know, and and all that, because he he felt, you know, he could learn so much Mm -hmm. from that. I think I'm 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 with Walt, man. I, I you know I'm the same way. I love talking to older people, although I'm becoming an older person, so people can want to talk to me. But well, I like, you talk to me all the time. You but know, it's that, true that, because that. you want to learn from their experiences. You know, it's one thing to see uh, a fictionalized representation or read something, but to hear a story um, from someone. Um, you know, if you have parents or grandparents who are getting up in age, like I'm, I know I sound like a crazy old man, but like sit down with them and just let them tell you stories. Um, yeah, t- story stories about their. Lo- I loved hearing my dad tell yeah. stories, and, and again, sometimes you you have to push them uh, to do that. And when I first went out and did um, interviews with, with uh, uh, animators who were who were getting on in years in, in those days, they loved telling those stories. They loved having somebody. Listen to that because it, because again, not only did that validate their life, but it but it brought back that moment in time for them. So I, so okay. Uh, speaking of tangents, sit back, relax, because here's a tangent. You want to do some good in this world and get a rewarding experience for yourself. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've done it in the past when I've had relatives send one dollar to W to, to, to Jim Corcus. <laughs> no, what? No, Go ahead. But. If you have a relative who may be in assisted living or a nursing home, or even if you don't, like it doesn't cost you anything other than a little while of your time to go there. So my um, my wife's grandmother, when she was in her very very late nineties, um, mm-hmm. spent some time in a in a um, uh, assisted, a, 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 assisted living, living home, and we would go there all the time to see her and visit with her. And I used to love 
not just chatting with her, but I would chat with some of the other people who were there who were just, mm-hmm. one, so happy to have somebody to talk to. I'm getting choked up. They were so happy to have somebody to talk to, but the stories that they would share and the excitement in their eyes, you don't know the 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 benefit that you give to to those people by just sitting there and listening with you know, uh, it, you know some bit of attention, attention. and and one of the things you'll find or at least that I have found is that when they're talking about their younger days they are sharp yeah they are clear but you, you can know? also you know there's also lessons you can glean from and I don't mean to sort of make this sound like a, an entrepreneur mm-hmm. but you know ask them what are the things in their lives that you know, were most profound? What are the things that they regret doing or not doing the most? Because you don't want to, you, I think that you never want to get to that point where you live with regrets, right? That's why I am where I am, because I never wanted mm-hmm. to live with those regrets. So, that I, I mean, again, way, 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 way off tangent. Well, well, it, it really isn't, because, because we're learning that, you know, about uh, Walt's life. You know, as you said, it doesn't make any difference where you start, but also that, that you need to be true, uh, 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 you need to be authentic. You, you know, uh, don't take advantage uh, of other people, even when you've got the opportunity uh, to do so. You know, uh, how many other people rose to, uh, to, to success, you know, like, uh, like a Rockefeller or whatever, but they did it by stepping over other people, and then at the end of their life they have these regrets of, you know, I, I was so, you know, focused on getting where I wanted to be that, you know, it, it didn't make any difference, the collateral damage of people along the way. That never happened uh, to Walt. You know, even in the 60s, when, when, when uh, uh, people who knew him in Marceline or knew him in Kansas City would write to him, Walt would write back a nice, friendly letter, you know, uh, uh, of this. Uh, I interviewed Virginia Davis, who uh, was the first Alice in the Alice comedies, and... Uh, she said uh, about eight or ten years after I, I had done the Alice comedies, I, 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 I was looking for some uh, uh, work and all of that, and I, I wrote back, uh, I wrote to Walt Disney, and she said the letter I got back from him, the uh, uh, first line was, how nice of you to remember me. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and she, she ended up working in, in, in ink and paint, but she says, try and imagine any other, you know, CEO doing that, right. <laughs> you know, this, this is Walt Disney. And when I was writing to him, you know, he was at the, the peak of his, his uh, uh, fame with Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and, and all of that. And the first thing he, he goes is, oh, well, how nice of you to remember me, <laughs> you know, as opposed to, yes, what is it you want? And, you know, right. who, who are you? And, you know, <laughs> the first, whatever, the- you know, it, you you can be a success and still be nice. The uh, you know? the, the very first and I love that story because again it, it humanizes them so very much and I'll just do, uh, uh, I'll pen that with a, a quick story of my own. The first time that I ever uh, interviewed Richard Sherman, who is still to this day um, one of my favorite personal opportunities to have ever gotten to meet mm-hmm. and speak mm-hmm. with and become friends with. But the first time I had reached out to him and we ch- I spoke with his wife first on the phone for a long period of time. And then we were chatting and this was before 
D23 and a lot of these legends really start to come more to the forefront in terms of doing interviews and being on stage and things like that. And he and 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 also establishing sort of a, a set soundbite story. Exactly. And he said mm-hmm. he said are you sure why he goes are you sure why do you want to interview me and I literally I think I said don't you know who you are (laughs) (laughs) you know but that there's that humility that I think that they all had which makes them so endearing I think you know Walt was probably like Richard like you just want to hug him he's like your granddad like they're just you know genuinely nice um humble person so I, I love hearing that's right and actually so i'll just punctuate that with one other quick story because we could do this all night as if we haven't been doing it all night anyway so when you <laughs> talked about getting letters well, back right. well see the, the way i look at it it's like you and i are always having these types of conversations <laughs> we even talked before the podcast you know started and what happens is just every now and then you remember to press the button to yeah, right. record. <laughs> what did and, I say to you? I so said we should have recorded. In on some right, of it. we should have almost recorded the the pre-show to a certain degree. But when you were talking about getting the letters from Walt, that that made me think about something uh, because I get this question a lot, Jim. I'm sure you do too. I hear this all the time, which is, I found this thing. My aunt has this was in my grandmother's attic, and it comes to the Walt Disney signature. And what I think a lot of people might not know is the Walt Disney signature, and I'm using air quotes as if you could see me, that you see in the official corporate logo is not actually Walt Disney's signature. Um, it's, no, based, it's a, based on his signature. Right. It's, it's a very much stylized version, but there's been mm-hmm. lots of different sort of quote-unquote versions of his signature over the years. And I tell this people a lot when they're looking for um, an appraisal or a value on something, you know, the, the Walt Disney logo is not his real signature. That logo actually didn't come about until like two decades after Walt had passed. But there were a lot of other people who were, who were authorized, authorized who were right. approved by Walt. Right. And so some of them were legal signature. and some of them were just sort of approved. So like Hank Porter had was had the ability to sign Walt's name. There were also secretarial uh, Floyd signatures. Floyd Godfrey did it. Uh, right, did didn't um, too. Bob Moore did a lot of them yes. in in the 50s. So there's a lot of versions, you know, you might have a signature of Walt, but it was one of Walt's signatures that was authorized by the studios that was really done by one of his secretaries because mm-hmm. it sort of it, followed it, it, that look. they're constantly getting requests, you know, right, send right. me a piece of autographed artwork, you know, send me, you know, or even just send me Walt's autograph, you know, right. and so they had little uh, 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 postcards with right. a, a uh, Walt uh, uh, portrait. And so, you know, it could be done very quickly because Walt was a busy guy. He was out lawn bowling. (laughs) (laughs) And you can look and see, you can see some of, you know, before Walt was, when Walt was the person before the persona, his signatures were very sort of um, blockish and not so Mm -hmm. almost whimsical. And so it did sort of, 
evolve over time. Well, so, well also your your signature changes over time. Sure. I take a look at my signature now; it, it's much different than it was, <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, and and certainly back from when I was in college and all of that, and and was trying to practice my signature. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's going to be? You know, should the K go down this way? You know? Yeah, we're trying to figure out what what that should look. You know, what it should. Uh, yeah look like on paper. And when I was practicing law and I was signing my name 200 times a day, Louis A. Mangello got very short and very sloppy very quickly. So, Well, well, <laughs> well you see that when you, you see these um, um, uh, signatures, autographed photos being uh, uh, auctioned off on, on eBay and, and, and all of that. And it's like, here's William Shatner's uh, signature. And you look and you can't find a W or an S in there anywhere. Nice. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, and sometimes your certificate of authenticity, it's authentic that I signed William Shatner's name, but you right. have no... Well, you as, know. as Mark Evanier once told me, because um, he he's often, uh, he worked for uh, uh, Jack Kirby, so he's often called in to authenticate, is this actual Jack Kirby artwork, is this Jack Kirby's... Uh, uh, signature and, and all of this, and he says, and, and people will come and say, well, look, there's this certificate of authenticity, and Mark says, does it ever occur to you that if they forge Jack Kirby's <laughs> name, they could forge a certificate of authenticity? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, 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 but I, I, I do know at, at, at conventions and all that now, too, where you go and, and get people's uh, autograph that sometimes uh, some conventions have a little... Um, notarized uh, yeah. uh, certificate of authenticity to have uh, with but the bottom line is you never know right. you, you can never never really know but yes in, in Walt's case yes uh, other people they came up with that very distinctive uh, lettering and and I think you can even get that font you know for right. your computer <laughs> um, but uh, but yes, it it it, it, uh, it the artists uh, uh, would do that uh, most often. But Walt would would still autograph things, sure. and Walt would still do a quick little, uh, uh, you know, if if he was on a trip or something like that, he'd he'd draw a quick little uh, Mickey head, you know, on a napkin or on 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 the back of a menu and 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 autograph it. And you know, the fu- the funny story, of course, was. Uh, uh, you know, uh, when they were doing uh, Saludos Amigos and Walt was in uh, 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 South America and he was at this press conference and the, this little boy ran up and, you know, shoved a piece of uh, 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 paper at him, you know, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. And so Walt drew Mickey's head and, and autographed it. And um, the little boy looked at it and goes, that's not Mickey Mouse, and he tears up the paper and runs away. Because at that time, you know, they had done Fantasia, so Mickey's now got pupils in his eyes, and 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 he's a a, a little uh, uh, fleshier, especially around the cheeks and all that. But Walt knew how to draw the Mickey Mouse from the 1930s, right. you know, and 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 here it is, you know, uh, 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 39 or so, and and so he's drawing this, and yeah, this I've drawn Mickey Mouse. This is Mickey Mouse, and the little kid goes, "That's not the Mickey Mouse I know." <laughs> you know, and look, the thing I love about this and and talking about Walt, and the reason why I want to do this now, and not just because it's birthday, is because there are. So there's, there's countless stories, Jim, and I think that not only are you 
an incredible, you know, collector of those stories, but the way that you tell and retell and share them, not just on the show, but in the book is a, is a big reason why I wanted well, to well, do. I want to create that humanity. And, and, and again, I also want to, to honor, um, Diane Disney Miller. She was, she was a great supporter of, uh, you know, my writing and, and, uh, uh research. She was very, very, uh, kind, but, but again, she wanted Walt to be seen as a human being, not this, uh, you know, not Colonel Sanders or Betty Crocker or something like this. It, Walt was a, Walt was a, a, a human being. You want to get that. And and again, there's so much misinformation, and and we're losing people every day who knew Walt. So there are fewer and fewer people who can come up and 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 defend Walt. So uh, in the book, I have 12 chapters where I debunk. Um, you know, myths uh, uh, about uh, Walt Disney, you know, that he was frozen, that he was anti-Semitic, that he hated women and all. And again, I, I don't just debunk by saying, well, Walt wouldn't have done that. I try to get documentation. So, like, Walt was not frozen. I point out that I, I talked to uh, Bob Nelson, who, who, is, who owned the only cryogenics company existing in the world when Walt passed away, and they still weren't licensed uh, uh, to do this, but I talked to him, and he said, look, just use common sense. You know, Walt passed away, and they kept him laying in the hospital bed, you know, for a couple of hours so that the family could gather, you know, and say their goodbyes. If you're going to cryogenically freeze somebody, you know, you've got to do that immediately when they die. You know, because the deterioration sets in, or you've got to do it just before they die. And I, I tracked down the um, uh, forest lawn embalmer who, who who signed and put his license number and all that on Walt's death certificate. And he said, yes, yeah, Walt, Walt was cremated, and, and it, it was very clear this is what, you know, uh, he he wanted uh, uh, done, you know. And, and I hear all these stories. Oh, yeah, he was frozen, and he was buried under Pirates of the Caribbean. And so I tracked down that. <laughs> Why would you bury somebody under Pirates of the Caribbean? Why not? Of all, of course. <laughs> it, it's because when Walt died, they were building Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> so in theory, right. again, Imagineers call this logical, erroneous conclusion. That's the phrase they have, where you put two and two together and you end up with seven. <laughs> you know, it, it look it looks. Oh yeah, it look, oh yes, that is, that's the ring that was thrown out. You know, uh, of the uh, attic. No, that that was actually where the metal pole was, <laughs> and they were so cheap they just cut it off. You know, at ground level there instead of yanking the whole thing out. Um, so yeah, so I have twelve chapters going through that. That Walt was not a Nazi sympathizer, and and one of the strangest. Ones that that I debunk, and, and we've heard this on TV. I actually heard this on TV not too long ago, that Walt, in his will, said that the first man who gets pregnant or gives birth would get the entire Disney company, or would get <laughs> a, all of Walt Disney World, or would get uh, all of the Walt... And first off, this is easy to debunk because Walt's will is a public document <laughs> any of you can track this down and read there is nothing even close to that uh second off walt didn't own 
Walt Disney World or Disneyland or the Disney Company. He was a stockholder, but he didn't own this. He didn't own his own company. Um, so he couldn't, you know, give it away. And and in the will, you see that in terms of his, his uh, uh, estate there, half of it's given to CalArts, you know, uh, the other half, you know, to, to family there. Um, and, and then you've just got to use some common sense and go, look, Walt was a conservative Midwest man. <laughs> and despite his curiosity with new technology, it, does it really make sense that he would go, yes, if a man gets pregnant, he right. can have everything that I have. He would have had to give it to, to Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1994 when Junior came out with Danny yeah. DeVito. <laughs> But, 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 you know, I, I just heard this on, on, on TV, you know, because the, a, a while ago there was that guy who claimed he was he was pregnant or whatever. Right. You know, and, and yes, well, Disney is going to, you know, do... Well, it, it, it's like the old... Um, it, sometimes a story is so good that you can't uh, kill it. You know, uh, in the book... Um, uh, Secret Stories at Disneyland that I wrote. You know, it, 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 tough book to write. Tough book to write because everybody and their mother has written a book about Disneyland. Everybody and their mother has a website or a podcast, uh, you know, about Disneyland. So I took it as a challenge from my publisher, and it's like, okay, I'm going to write about Disneyland, but I'm going to make sure that I don't tell the same stories that everybody else does. Or if it is the same story, I'm going to tell it from a different perspective or tell the truth. Huge amount of time to do this. But in there, I talk about babies born at Disneyland. <laughs> and the rumor started that if you give birth at Disneyland, your child gets a lifetime pass <laughs> to all the Disney parks. That's the rumor that is out there. And so one of the stories I recount in the book is this woman who literally went into labor and locked herself in the bathroom because she thought if she gave birth, her child would get a lifetime pass. And the story of, of the nurses, you know, from first aid, knocking on the door and trying to explain, no, that's an urban myth, you know. But sometimes some stories are so good, you know, you can't kill them. And, and again, you know, today you've got a whole generation that, what they know about Walt Disney is watching uh, Family Guy or Robot Chicken, you know, <laughs> who, who are constantly making jokes about Walt being uh, anti-Semitic, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, a, a Nazi sympathizer. Thing. Walt wasn't anti-Semitic. Marty Scalar was Jewish. The, the Sherman brothers are Jewish. Kay Kamen, who ran merchandise, he's Jewish. Harry Title, who who was doing all the live action uh, 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 films there, producing all of it, Jewish. Walt didn't care. You can do the job. That's fine. That your right. personal That's life is your personal. Life. And and speaking of the Sherman Brothers, let's let's give a shout out to uh, Richard's uh, uh, newest book, which is uh, A Kiss Good Night, which is illustrated by Floyd Norman. And and so this is. Uh, a children's book, but it's for children of all ages, uh, basically about how Walt, as a uh, child, was fascinated by fireworks, and so that's why we have fireworks at, at Disneyland, uh, to give everyone just that 
final kiss goodnight, you know, to close out the experience. I love it. But and Jim, while you're ordering that, also order Call Me Walt exactly, by Jim Exactly. Exactly. If you go to www.radio.com slash Walt, it'll take you right there to where you get Jim's book. And look, Jim, one of the things I love about this book is it does clarify a lot of these myths. Um, it, it shows that, you know, Walt led far, very, very far from a perfect life. It was oftentimes tragic. Mm-hmm. It was oftentimes difficult. And I think there's a lot of um, st- not just stories, but lessons we can glean from it as well. But I think there's a lot of things that are fascinating, not just about the company, but about the man. Um, again, and the, the when person- you read the book, those of you who are buying the book, I'm warning you ahead of time. There is no mention of Mickey Mouse. There is no mention of Disneyland. There is no mention of audio animatronics. There is no mention of Snow White and the Seven. But but there's several paragraphs about how Walt had a terrible sinus condition and had to go in at least once a week, sometimes more, to get his sinuses drained. And that in the the uh, last years of his life, he was in a, a tremendous pain, including uh, uh, dental pain. And so sometimes when he would lash out at people, and and again. Walt doesn't need to be deified, but he doesn't need to be demonized right, either. Right. So I have chapters about Walt's temper and, and making fun of others and and the wounded bear, which is what they called him when, you know, he was in a bad mood because a wounded bear, you know, it can, <laughs> will poke, lash out. Don't, you don't know? poke the wounded bear. Absolutely. Don't poke the wounded bear. <laughs> don't poke a bear, period. But don't poke a wounded bear because, you know. Uh, he's feeling so bad that that will do it. But some of that is because, Walt, when you're feeling bad physically, you know, it, it it's hard to keep up that nice guy friendly front uh, as that's going going on. I'm I'm hoping that there's enough people out there who are interested in in Walt as a as a real person to buy this. But I could be absolutely wrong. You know, I. I'm, I'm, I run into uh, a, a lot of people, uh, young people, you know, who really don't know who Walt was, who really de- don't even know everything he did in in animation and live action and, and, and things like that. So. Well, hopefully this um, serves as a not-so-short teaser trailer to uh, to that book <laughs> and some of the other stories that are yeah, in we're, there. Yeah, we're talking forever. We're, we're wrapping uh, up here uh, uh, now. and. And again, it's the holiday season, so I hope people will enjoy their holidays. And, and as you have pointed out, I hope people will be thankful. And I hope people will think about um, the angels they have had in their life and go and just take a moment and, and thank that person, you know, for, for that kind word or, or not crushing the dream, you know, or uh, picking up the tab at lunch or whatever, you know. Uh, is something that ha- has made life better, and uh, remember that uh, you're an angel in somebody else's life too. Maybe a lot of somebody's, and uh, uh, you know, it's not that hard to do good in the world. It's not that hard to be just a little extra patient, or say that uh, say that kind word, or or hold the door open, or uh, you know. Um, and actually, you're enriching your own life by doing that. Well, I will take your advice, Jim Corcus, and thank you. And and I don't like Thanksgiving because you're should... holding the door open no, for me. Gonna... Now. <laughs> yes, I can see I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. All Understand right. what I mean by this? I don't necessarily like Thanksgiving for the same reasons I don't like 
Mother's Day, Father's Day, and all the other, because I think you should be thankful and grateful each and every day, as I always am for you. You have always been very kind to me. And, and I'm you've always been very kind listeners. to me, and you've always been very I'm, supportive and, of me, and, and I will never, for, I will never forget that. And um, I, well, I appreciate I your not. friendship. I appreciate your friendship, <laughs> and I love having you on, and the stories you are share, you have to share. I, I, I love being on, and I, as I said, I'm thankful for your listeners, and I'm thankful for those listeners who, who come up to me and, and say things like, "Yeah, I listen to the parade show, and I just love listening to." To, to you and, and Lou, and, and sometimes I have to listen to the show a second time, you know, to to get uh, everything. You guys are important. You're keeping the uh, uh, magic of Disney alive. You're keeping the magic of Walt alive. And and uh, uh, thanks to Lou for uh, providing this forum so uh, that information uh, can get out there. And so uh, God bless us, everyone. You're a good man, Jimmy Corcus. Until next time, thank you so much. for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge, not just of Walt Disney World's history, but sometimes the details of what you see, what you hear, maybe even what you eat. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online forum for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, as we celebrated 500-ish episodes of WW Radio, I wanted to ask you a question about the show to see how well you knew it or maybe to invite you to go back and find an episode you hadn't looked at before. And the question I asked you simply was to tell me, what was the very first top 10 show that we ever did? And again, thanks to the hundreds of you who got this correct, shared some fun stories and memories about how you found the show. But a lot of you knew that the top 10 was spookiest moments and that was back on show 38, and that was back in 2007. The first top 10 I did with little Timmy Foster. I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, you were playing for my 102 Ways to Save Money for Not Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, both of which, by the way, you can find in the WW Radio shop. They're on sale, celebrating 10 years. They're just $10 each. I'm also going to send you a Magic Band cover, some stickers, and a WW Radio pop socket for your phone and stand. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Jess Adams. So, Jess, congratulations. You used the online form, so I have your mailing address. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So because this week's show is about Walt Disney, the question's going to be about Walt Disney, but also about food because I'm Lou and I'm always hungry. And as we talked about on the show a little bit, Walt's imprint and legacy really can be found throughout the parks and resorts. In the past, I've actually done shows about finding Walt in Walt Disney World. If you go back to show 298, that's actually the title of the show and places and ways you can find sort of Walt's imprint and details and references to Walt throughout Walt Disney World. But sometimes you might find Walt in places that he may not have ever even visited or envisioned 
In fact, there's a lot of locations that have a connection to Walt in one way or another. For example, this is where it brings it back to food. Paddlefish, the restaurant in Disney Springs, was once known as Fulton's Crab House. Before that, however, it was a restaurant known by a different name. So this week I invite you to tell me what was this floating restaurant originally known as and maybe how was it connected to Walt? Your answer for the first should give you the answer for the second. So tell me what was Paddlefish originally known as in Disney Springs? You have until Sunday, December 3rd at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the online form there, and again, you're going to play for the book, the audio tours, the Magic Band cover, the stickers, and the pop socket. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Thanks again to some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation, including some of the platinum members like Father Christopher, Sean Embry, Frank, Ashley, and Frankie, Gary Zarelli, Paul Reddick, Scott McLean, and Jeff Knoll. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to find out how you can join the nation and get monthly rewards, including scavenger hunts. We have a private Facebook group. You'll get personalized Magic Band covers. There's logo gear, shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, live video group calls, and lots more. You can visit www.radio.com support. And don't forget that a portion of your contribution will go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Also, don't forget to join the community, like our page at facebook.com slash WWRadio, and be a member of our Facebook group as well. Really be part of the conversation as well. Please also join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WWRadio Live, where I do a live video broadcast from the parks, sometimes from the home studio. Also, be sure to turn on notifications. This way you'll find out other times that I go live, sometimes out in the parks or special events. You can also connect with me other places on social. I am at Lou Mangiello. On Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Pinterest, those are where I'm most active. And subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Radio. Of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, I think that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why I continue to do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. I don't have December scheduled as yet. Again, to find out when and where that's going to be. Not just to tune into the show and follow me on social, but make sure you check out the events page at facebook.com slash WWRadio. You can also find out how you can join us in Alaska on our Disney cruise in June 2018. We have one spot left for our backstage magic adventures by Disney in October. And there's other special events coming up as well. Also, please visit LouMangelo.com if I can maybe come to speak to your business, to your conference, or to your school, or work with you one-on-one to help you turn your passion into your profession with personal mentoring or small group coaching. I'd love to help you get from where you are to where you want to be and turn what you love into what you do. Again, you can find everything over at LouMangelo.com. Thanks, as always, to Becky and her team over at Mouse Fan Travel, my official recommended travel provider. Wherever you are going, in the Disney world or outside, she and her team of agents give you the best possible service and prices available. You can visit them at MouseFanTravel.com. And, of course, little Timmy Foster's over at CelebrationsPress.com, where you can subscribe and order back issues to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. And that's how our community and family will grow. So 
tweet out a link and that you're listening to this episode or pick your favorite episode and share it on Facebook. And if you can, take just 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you, we have more than 1,300 five-star reviews. It's incredibly helpful to the show. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Paul Matthew W. Says it's immersive and entertaining. Lose podcast is great. I listen to every episode while I walk for exercise. He covers topics with lots of information and attention to detail. So every episode is sort of like a documentary, especially with the expert guests he has on the show. However, don't think for a moment these are boring history lessons about Walt Disney World. Lou keeps it very upbeat, humorous, and entertaining. He also keeps the podcast full of optimism and positive energy, something we could all use a lot more of. Thanks, Lou. Please keep keep him coming. Paul, thank you. Nate Elmo, 1987, says, Thank you, Lou. You're a little piece of the magic to my day and the best part of my week. Wow, thank you. I hope we get to meet you someday. Same as well. Keep up the amazing top tens. Thank you, Nate. I hope to meet you in the future as well. Barn 8 says... The bee's knees. Lou, your show is unlike any other I've listened to. Your knowledge and kind Disney spirit are inspiring and keep me coming back for more. Thanks for being the pixie dust in my everyday life. And Wise Olman says, it brings the magic to your home. The WWE Radio podcast captures the magic of Walt Disney World. And if you're fortunate enough to get the magic of Disney, then the show embodies that sense. Lou's description of all parts of Walt Disney World, sheer vastness of knowledge of the history and details of Walt Disney World, let you escape into that sense of being there. Lou, thank you. Your energy and enthusiasm is infectious. This is the best Disney podcast available. I thoroughly enjoy every episode and being new to the show. I'm trawling back to the old episodes. Many hours of fun and laughs. Thank you. Thank you, wise old man, Kay, Nate, and Paul. I appreciate every single one of you. If you want to rate and review the show, just search for it in iTunes or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes. It'll show you exactly how to do it. And again, continuing in this sense and season and something that I think should continue all year long of Thanksgiving, I am thankful and grateful to and for you. I am a better person. I'm a better man because of you and the things that you allow me to do. And I think that today and every day is an opportunity for you to get better. Don't waste it and don't wait. And I hope that you have your best week ever. So until next time, thanks again. See ya. Hey, Lou Mangiello. This is Terrence O'Neill, and I'm with my wife, Natalie, daughter, Allison, and Danielle. And we are on the people mover right now as we speak. And we just wanted to call and say hi, and thanks for all your great podcasts. And we can't wait to listen to more. And hopefully you can hear us over the narration of the people mover. But have a great, magical day. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Gabby Laxamata from Columbia, Maryland. Um, just calling in to say hey. Um, just really missing Disney World right now. This morning it was a crisp 28 degrees here in Maryland, and I was missing the 80-degree weather that Joe and I were enjoying um, just two weeks ago in Florida. We were there for the Wine and Dine Half Marathon, and thank you and Becky again for our sweaty hugs right when we needed it towards the end of the race. Um, I just have to say, uh, after we passed um, you guys right outside of Epcot, as we were running away, Joe turns to me and says, oh my gosh, Lil Mangiello remembered me. He said, hey, Joe, and I couldn't believe he remembered my name. Um, And he was just super excited about it, and I figured I would let you know. 
Um, other than that, have a great rest of the week and early happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and all of the WDW radio listeners. Um, we are also, on behalf of all of us, I'd like to say we're so thankful for what you do and for this community. Um, and it's just so nice to have a little bit of Disney here when we're freezing at home. <laughs> Thank you so much for all you do. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Lou. Stan Solo calling from snowy Winnipeg, Canada. I'm taking a break from having some ketchup chips, poutine, and Timbits to congratulate you on your 500th episode. Looking forward to hearing the next 500. Now have a good day, eh? Hi, Lou. This is Danielle from North Carolina, and I would like to say that my favorite part about Spacious Earth is the printing press theme. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangello, Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, calling in to give you some of the countdowns. We have 183 days until we hit the May trip for my birthday in Walt Disney World. And then you have, ready, 212 days until that Disney Alaska cruise. Now, everybody that's going on that cruise, be set and ready, because Lou and Becky always make it a fun-filled adventure. When we were there, we seen Tracy Arms, Skagway, Juno, and Ketchikan. And we got to go on a whale watch. We did a showgirls, good time girls, showgirls walk. And we did a um, duck boat tour. If you had never been on a duck boat, that was a lot of fun. So anything you need to know, just ask, and I will share what we did. If you are in the area in October, we are going to be down there the week, the first week of October into the world. Maybe we can all meet up. Have a wonderful, fabulous weekend. Happy Thanksgiving from West Seneca, New York, and Darlene Maggie. I love you guys all, and always stay positive like Lou says. See you real soon.